Desideratum is a Latin word, meaning things that are desired as essential or fundamental. The tradition of and human condition of needing storytelling inspired this podcast. Just longing for stories to share and wishing for moments with gifted storytellers. The Desideratum podcast celebrates the art of telling and the journey of listening with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith friends. Episode 1, Something More. Today, I want you to meet Mandy Haynes, author of literary fiction with a Southern drawl. Before we get to her featured short story, I want you to listen for how a fourth grade writing assignment brought her to tears, why she feels with her three dogs and a turtle she is living the life of her favorite childhood story, and what her essential thing is, which initially sounds predictable, but of course has a twist. And so I just want to know what you, for you in your life, what are the things that you think are most essential? Stories. Stories. I think being able to hear, you know, someone's story. Um, I'm very fortunate that for some reason I have a face or something that people feel comfortable with and strangers in the grocery store, lines at the grocery store or um, putting like in a parking lot as you're getting into your car. People have shared some of the most amazing personal stories. People I'll never see again hmm. that I didn't know. Um, and being able to hear, listen, you know, making the time. I have so many friends that are like, oh gosh, that, what are they talking about? I don't even care out now. I'm busy or, you know, or whatever. And I'm always like, no, if, <laughs> if somebody says, honey, that reminds me of, that's it. Ice cream can melt or whatever. It's like, I'm, I'm there. That's interesting that you have experienced that so much in your life that you feel like there's something about your presence that welcomes stories. Not that you're just a storyteller, but that you are a receiver of stories. Did you feel like you had stories to tell as a little girl? Oh yeah, I started reading before I started kindergarten. My, I had a sister that was two years older. And so when she was learning how to read, I was lucky enough that I just, I learned too without, you know, even realizing it. Hmm. I, my mother read all the time. So she loved to read too. So there were books everywhere. Um, so I just, as a little bitty kid, I thought I want my name on a book. Like I would carry my favorite book as a kid was Miss Twiggly's Tree. The first part of the book is, and it's funny how much I, as a grown woman, I'm so much like Miss Twiggly, but it's Bunny Miss Twiggly lived in a tree with a dog named Puss and a color TV. She did what she liked and she liked what she did. But when company came, Miss Twiggly hit, you know, and I just, I, you know, I left with my three dogs and a turtle and, um, you know, kind of live in my own little world with my animals like Miss Twiggly. Hmm. And then when I was in fourth grade, I wrote a report on the Civil War. It wasn't even the battle that I was supposed to be writing about. It was the young 
boys who were, they weren't fighting the war to defend their state or their property. They didn't have anything. You know, they were starving. They were poor. They were promised three meals a day and boots, you know, if they joined the war. And um, as a little kid, that just stuck with me. And as I, I won in a war, I won something for that. And then it went, it went on to the next competition, standing on stage in front of all these people at a different school reading that thing. I just started crying because the, that boy that I wrote about was so real to me that I could see him as I was talking. And, um, you know, just the power of words. It hit me then how powerful they are. So, yeah, I've always wanted to be a writer. You were probably only nine years old at that point. That was a real maturity of character. I think that's one of the things that struck me reading your second collection, um, Sharp as a Serpent's Tooth, is that your your young characters have a great depth of maturity and sometimes more than the adults in the story. Yeah, well, um, one of my friends, he's a friend of mine, he... um, He's a great songwriter and we get together and would write some stuff, but, um, and he'd always read my stories and he told me one day, he said, Mandy, you were born old. And it's like, you know, instead of having an old soul and I just thought, yeah, I just, yeah, I've, I've always felt that way. And then I worked in pediatrics for 16 years and um, so many kids that I met that were going through hard times you know with their health stuff I worked in cardiology um you know it's just you'd meet so many young kids that just yeah they they were so much older than their years I think that's why your stories are so relatable though is that you have you've kind of mined these nuggets of truth from your own life and your own experiences and the people that you come across Yeah. Well, and it's funny, the people that knew me, like one of the doctors that I worked for, one of the stories, um, the day I threw the rock. Wait, so did you catch that? Mandy said, the day I threw the rock. That's a story in her second collection, and it's about, in its simplest telling, a girl who sees another girl being assaulted. She's by a riverbank. Her dress is ripped. The girl who's watching isn't sure what she's seeing, but she picks up a rock and throws it and stops the attack. That's the story this doctor friend had read. Um, But he read the story and he came in to the echo lab where I work. And I will never forget, he just walked up to me and he looked so serious. And my first thought was, oh no, he has a a patient's not doing well. I'd get so close to my patients and I thought I was bracing myself for some bad news you know and he stopped right in front of me and he said so I read your story and I said oh did you like it he cheered up and he said oh I loved it but which one were you were you the girl that threw the rock are you or you were you the girl that you know and I just looked at him and I said a little bit of both a little bit of both hmm So, yeah, it's like there's a little bit of me in every story, Um, but I've never killed anybody. (laughs) That's the big joke. (laughs) I've had people ask me, hi, guys, so how many people have you killed? You know, 
no. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything that you would like to say to set up the story that you chose to be featured for the short story about Jewel? Oh, something more. Ah, oh. that's one of my newest stories. It actually, I wrote that. Um, I wrote that on the way I was driving to Fairhope, Alabama. And on the drive to Fairhope, there was a deer that had been hit and, and pushed off the side of the interstate. Traffic had slowed down. And when I got up to it out of the corner of my eye, it looked like it was wearing a crown of flowers where it had been pushed into the grass, you know, so it was like some dandelions. And we, and so just for a second, I saw that. And by the time that I made it to Fairhope, I had that story written in my mind. I just love Jewel. And I, I, I get choked up, like even now, just thinking about it. I don't know if she makes me cry. Um, I, um, I can relate to her in so many different, different ways. Um, Okay, let's pause right there. I think you'll appreciate that more after you hear Jewel's story. This is Something More by Mandy Haynes. Jewel slips out the back door, mindful of the squeak in the rusted spring overhead. Her bare feet dart over the well-worn path through the woods behind the house missing sharp stones and sneaky roots by memory. When she reaches the edge of the field that lies on the other side of the woods, she stops to pick handfuls of clover. Jewel pinches the delicate stems close to the ground between her thumbnail and pads of her fingers, choosing only ones that are tall enough for tying. She works fast, slowing only to scold the bees that buzz around her. You quit being selfish. You got a whole field here and ten more down the road. You can share this little bit with me. Her voice, so seldom used, sounds strange to her ears. She tucks the clover into the front of her cotton dress, folding the frayed hem over the green leaves and purple blossoms. The flowers appear even brighter in contrast to the faded and well-worn step-ins that peek out from underneath her threadbare dress. When she's sure she's picked enough, she turns and runs back to the woods, looking over her shoulder to make sure no one is watching, even though she knows no one's there. It's a habit that's hard to break, like chewing the inside of her cheek until it's raw, or poking the crooked bump on her collarbone, where the broken pieces fuse together without the help of a sling. Certain she's alone, she slips between the branches of the weeping willow at the bend in the creek. Safe behind the curtain of branches, she relaxes. Jewel places the clover on the spongy green carpet of moss beside the willow that hides her most treasured items in the hollow of its trunk. Tucked away are pieces of quartz she found on the path. One perfect turquoise-colored claw from a crawdad she found in the creek a collection of feathers, two books from her granny's house, and a teacup with pink and yellow roses painted around the rim. The teacup is the only piece from her granny's set she'd been able to save. The rest were shattered against the kitchen wall, 
innocent victims of her stepfather's temper. She looks at the clover and takes time to observe how each tiny petal grows together to form the perfect blossom. Lost in the moment, she traces the lines of white running through the green leaves with the tip of her dirty finger and takes in the beauty in each one. She sees that the edge of her thumbnail is bright emerald green and it makes her happy. Maybe someday I'll turn into a clover field, she tells the willow. But right now, I got work to do. Starting with a single stalk, she weaves three strands of clover the way her granny taught her two years ago on her sixth birthday. Her granny used to bake tea cakes and biscuits, fix cups of sweetened milk and coffee, and serve it to her in the cup with roses on it. Her granny's house smelled like chicken and dumplings and lavender from the garden. If the girl tries hard, she can still remember. Little Jewel, her granny used to say to her, you are more precious than any diamond or ruby. And Jewel believed her. She finishes weaving the clover together and puts the two strands over her head to let them hang around her neck. Soon they become covered by tangles of unkempt curls. After making sure the treasures are still hidden away, she peeks through the willow's branches. Jewel tiptoes out and takes off once again, breathing in the smell of the sun. It's almost too sharp, too busy, like the vinegar fumes that linger in the kitchen when it's time for making pickles. Her hiding place smells like shade, the smell of damp bark, moist dirt, and roly-poly bugs, of stillness and safety. Last night, Jules saw the dough on the edge of the big highway. She and her mama were coming back from the laundromat with a load of clothes in the seat between them. The basket filled the car with the smell of fresh, washed cotton, masking the stink of mildew and cigarette burns in the old Pontiac's carpet. The girl climbed up on her knees to bury her face in the warm pile of towels, something she couldn't do once they were folded and put away. Jewel smiled at her mama, wanting to share that goodness with her, but her mama hadn't seen her. She'd been too busy focusing on driving, exhausted after working a double shift at the cafe. The girl studied the circles under her mama's eyes and the gray that had snuck into her hair, hair that used to shine like black satin when she wrapped it around her fingers before she got too big to sit in her mama's lap. She looked at the foot pressing on the gas pedal and saw the bandage trying to hide a blister on her heel. She noticed the narrow ankle and skinny leg that looked too fragile to hold the weight of everything her mama carried on her shoulders. Jules stared at her mama's face then, willing her to look at her, to notice her, to see anything but the bleak road that lay ahead. But the eyes of the doe caught Jules' attention, and she couldn't bring herself to look at her mama's wearied eyes again. She bolts across the ditch that takes her to the highway and stops when she nears the doe's body. It's easy to imagine that she sees the ribcage rise and fall, but Jules knows the deer isn't sleeping. You're a pretty girl, 
she says as a morning dove calls to her from a limb of an ancient oak tree. She looks for the soft gray feathers of her favorite bird, but turns her attention back to the mama deer when she can't find them. See? Even he thinks so. Jewel slides her fingers from the tip of the deer's nose to right above the large, almond-shaped eye. She examines the fur and realizes that what appears to be solid gray from a distance is brown, white, black, and gray combined. She's filled with wonder. The solid white fur around the doe's eyes is so clean and pure that the girl is careful not to touch it. Remembering why she came, she takes one long strand of clover and doubles it twice, making a small circle of flowers. Carefully, she slides it over the tall, narrow ears of the doe and settles it above the brow bone, creating a perfect crown. Satisfied, she stands and takes a long look. Jewel knows the crows will come soon. Then the buzzards will come to finish the job. But for now, the mama deer deserves something more. Jewel sees the sun coming up over the top of the hill and realizes her own mama will wake up shortly. She leans over one last time and touches a black hoof, amazed at how small it is. She examines the long, graceful leg that once carried the doe across the fields. It's surprisingly thin and looks oddly familiar. Jewel feels a lump form in her throat and wipes a tear from her cheek onto the front of her dress. She turns and takes off running once again, passes the willow without a glance and keeps going. Jewel races up the path, through the woods, avoiding stickers and briars that grow at the border of the yard. She doesn't slow down until she reaches the warped and rusty screen door of her back porch. Jewel steps into the bear kitchen, respectful of the sharp edge on a piece of linoleum that's torn and curled at the corner. She catches her breath and untangles the second strand of flowers from her hair. She doubles the strand and doubles it again, making another clover crown. She treads softly over the worn carpet in the living room, past the hole in the cheap paneled wall left from her stepfather's fist, past the odor of his aftershave that still lingers in the bathroom, even though he's been gone for weeks. She fights the impulse to run the length of the hallway, aware of the narrow space that offers no place to hide. She counts to five to slow the beating of her heart, and raises the crown to her face as she tiptoes to the doorway at the end hall. She breathes in the safe, clean scent before she steps into her mama's bedroom. Dread fills Jewel's small body until she sees the ribcage rise and fall beneath the thin sheet. Lined up in a perfect row on her mama's nightstand beside a half-empty glass of sulfury tap water are the pills her stepfather used to eat like candy. He'd shake the orange-colored bottle and laugh at the rattling sound they made. The only time she'd heard him laugh. And the only thing he left behind. Jewel hears the echo of his voice, almost as loud as the smell of his cologne, telling her mama to swallow them all at once and end her miserable life. She can still see her mama struggling on the kitchen floor, 
pinned under her stepfather's knees as he tried to force her mouth open. And she can still feel the dead weight of her granny's pistol as she held it steady, pointed at the back of her stepfather's head. Jewel holds her breath as she picks up the pills and slips them into the pocket of her dress, counting as she lets them fall. Three less than the day before. Crossing her fingers, Jewel makes a silent wish that this is the last of them. She'll put them with the others, beside her granny's pistol, in her hiding place behind the willow's branches, buried deep under the moss where no one will ever find them. She creeps closer to the edge of the bed and studies the way the early morning sun falls across the pillow, catching the silver threads in her mama's hair. She's amazed at how they sparkle in the sunlight, and she fights the urge to touch them. You are more precious than diamonds and rubies, Jewel whispers, then gently places the crown of flowers on her mama's head, careful not to wake her. I just love Jewel. And I, I, I get choked up, like even now, I'm just thinking about it. I don't know if she makes me cry. Um, I, um, I can relate to her in so many different, different ways. Um, and I can relate to her mother too. Uh, my first marriage, I was married for 11 years. I was really young. I was actually 15 when I got married. And um, it was not a, it wasn't a safe or healthy place, you know. Um, but I loved my son, you know, it's like I never, like, even though I have no regrets, like I, you know, I just, I loved being a mother. And, um, but it was hard. Luckily, I never had any addiction issues. Like that, that was not a problem, but it is a huge problem. It is a huge problem um, that I think people need to write about um like from Jewel's perspective how a child sees it how it affects her life hmm. and it's like there's some of my grandmother like the china that's my grandmother's china she baked tea cakes in her house smelled like tea cakes and dumpling and dumplings chicken and dumplings um and I used to love to stay I would stay outside all day long you know from the time you got out of bed until you had to come in for supper but um I don't know it's just that I don't know I just feel so close to that story and those characters and it makes me cry <laughs> it's so silly because it's like life is crazy you know it is crazy so I'm just embrace it <laughs> that's my new thing just you know have fun life's too short life's too short to not enjoy it yeah Thank you so much for your humor and your humility and your honesty. Well, I don't know how to be any other way. (laughs) It's been a problem. (laughs) It it is a problem sometimes. Um, That's a good problem for a writer, I think. Very good. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Bye. You can find Mandy Haynes' website, her social media pages, links to her books, and a link to Miss Twiggly's tree in the show notes. Thanks for listening.